the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. Gee, it's such an honor to have you here. I love your outlook on being an American. You, you know, you, you chose to come here and be an American. Absolutely. And it's and been... What, be American. <laughs> yes. It, what has it been about 36, 37 years now that you've been here? Yeah, it's uh, since uh, 1986. Yes, it's a process. Actually, being American is not about uh, coming here and get a green card and citizenship. It is a process, and I really, uh, there's no other word for it, assimilation. And assimilation is, to me, is uh, really understanding what makes this country free, what makes this country special, why I want to come here. And that is a process, and it takes, you know, it takes a while for me to really appreciate the exceptionalism um, of this country. Well, what's interesting to me is you you wanted to come here. You were in China under Mao. And, and at that point, what were you seeing at home that made you want to get out of there? Yeah. Well, I lived under Mao for 26 years, and my entire school years from 1966 to 1975, and it's during the Cultural Revolution. So I spent my entire school years in Cultural Revolution, and uh, and after that, after I graduated from my high school in 1975, and there was nothing for me. There's nothing for any young people in the city. So Mao told us, no worry. I send you to get your continuing education, the re-education. So send us to the countryside. And we were, I worked for three years in the fields under primitive condition to receive the so-called re-education from the peasants. So I really endured the worst time in China. And after that, I was able to go to college after Mao died. And then I did not know anything going up I did not know anything about America. I remember seeing some cartoons of uh, how hard it is uh, for the poor people to live in in America. It is a heaven for the rich, but a hell for the poor. I did not, and we were told it, it is just absolutely insane. But we're told don't waste any food in your plate because the poor Americans are suffering. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, of course. After I go uh, went to college, and China at that time started to open up. We started to get information, and I started to be able to see a little bit of what's outside. And of course, of course, all the lies I was fed, I realized they were just lies. And but I want. Let to me know. ask you about that, G, because I, I, it, this is such an interesting parallel and an interesting timing because I think right now Americans are know that in very many cases they are being lied to. But you grew up your entire childhood being lied to by the leader of your country. As you began to discover this, as you began to realize 
that that was the case, that your whole life you had been lied to. What, what, what did you experience internally upon realizing that? Yeah, it, it is again, little by little. I have no idea. That's the thing. People being indoctrinated, most of them don't know. And I did not know. I did not know any better because all the information was controlled. I was only fed what they want me to know without, you know, how do you think critically when you don't have information? And that's why this whole culture revolution is about information, about control of information and about uh, uh, feed people with misinformation. Yeah, without anything to compare with, you can't think differently. And that's... Uh, yeah, it's little by little. And I started to realize pictures coming in. I start to see, oh, that's America. My God, that's heaven. Mm. And of course I wanted to go there, but I did not know I could until later. I, when I was uh, teaching in a, in a college, we have American teachers come uh, uh, to teach in the summer. And, uh, and then I started to tweet, talk to real Free people, my goodness, those Americans, they were free. I was able to talk to them in person and ask them all sorts of questions. I do remember this is so, I would never forget. I talked to a, um, a Chinese American. She immigrated to America from uh, Southeast Asia. She told me something I would never, ever forget. She said, America is a great country. And, uh, and it's a great country for immigrants because, uh, everyone was treated equally. It is just absolutely wonderful place. I said, I want to go there. I really want to go there. And, and so you began the application process to go to school well, in the United States. It's very difficult. Very is difficult. It? And so there is one wonderful teacher. They have a group of teacher. There is a wonderful lady. She's from Kentucky. Her name is Pat Nave. She would become friends and she said she's going to help me to come to America. So a year later after oh, a lot of, lot of, lot of waiting and then, you know, the snail mail crossed the snowboat yeah. you know, to China. <laughs> and uh, after a lot of, a lot of uh, disappointment and difficulty, I was able to uh, get my visa. So in 1968, I came to America. To and Western when you Kentucky. got that notification that you were being granted your visa, what were your emotions like? I just feel like, uh, it, it, actually, I, I'm, my book's coming out in uh, October, and I describe all this process when I... <laughs> it is, when I got it, I just could not believe. I really could not believe that I was on my way to America. And of course, people around me feel like I, I won the lottery. It's not lottery <laughs> for money. It's a lottery to freedom. Yeah. And this is something people do not understand. This is something that young people were never taught that they live in the freest, the best country that ever created on earth. And uh, because you can't complain, you, you can't blame them because they were fed lies. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, and I want to get into this with you as to why you think this is happening, because you have a very different understanding of what's going on with this this information, the way it is being taught or distributed or uh, the way that children are being, uh, we can say, indoctrinated, and why in the greatest country on earth, yeah. with its ups and downs and blemishes and so forth, but still the freest country on earth, why they would want to turn their own young people against it. So she, when, when did you start to see in America this sort of, um, this effort to teach children that America was not free, was not a good place, was not a, a, a everything that you and I believe that it is. Yeah. Um, actually, when I came here, I was like, oh, my God, I left commun communism behind me. I'm free forever, you know, and uh, what else can go wrong? So absolutely, I have uh, never thought this could happen in America. But gradually, I think, you know, I came here in uh, 86 and I was in college in 89 and I was taking a class and it's a special ed class. And at the first time I thought something kind of uh, interesting, we were taught we have to use the preferred terms to describe people with disability. You know, I thought, wow. Americans are really nice. They're just so loving and they want to uh, never hurt people. They want to use the best term to describe those people that have, you know, challenges or whatever. Of course. And I really thought that's the way. And uh, gradually I realized, no, you can't say this. You can't say that. And even the terms that I was uh, taught in that class changing, you know, you can't say blind. You have to say visually disappeared, uh, impaired, uh, yeah. impaired. And now you know what? It's going back. We have to say, we have to use the term blind. So gradually I started to say, no, this is not quite right. And then gradually I see, it's kind of remind me of a, a cultural revolution. And so there's more incidences. And I think uh, the, uh, um, one, the big one I can really, really remember is, uh, um, the house, uh, the Senate, uh, house, uh, the Senate, uh, majority leader, Trent Lott. And, uh, there, I don't even remember the detail, but, uh, whatever he said or someone he said about, um, and then become a racist and they have to quit. I was like, Oh no, that really, really sounds like cultural revolution because in cultural revolution, if you say something wrong, or you don't have to say anything. People think you think it, you have the wrong thought. You are counter-revolutionary. Yeah. It's not a racist. It's a counter-revolutionary. It's a, it's a hat that fit everyone. Anyone. Yeah. Somehow you either, um, said something or they want to, uh, uh, they want to denounce you. They just say you're counter-revolutionary. Just like what here, happens? What happened to counter-revolutionaries in, okay, in China? And you become the enemy of the state. When you become the enemy of the state, 
Many things can happen. You can be uh, absolutely you you can be exiled, jailed, or executed. It's just that simple. So everyone know how dangerous it is to just open your mouth and 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 and, and speak your mind. Right. Everyone so, censor themselves. Right, and which yeah. is which is as you've articulated, that's happening here. That's that happening is happening right here, here right now. And yeah. what people are so afraid of is not being called counter-revolutionary. Of course, history never repeat exactly, right? It always right. runs. Now it's a racist, right? Yeah. Uh, whatever, phobia. It's the Transphobe, homophobe, whatever, xenophobe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And to and condemn communism is, uh, and, and, and you are, um, what's the word for afraid of foreigners? A xenophobic. A xenophobic. If yeah. you are against communism, you are xenophobia. It's yes. just absolutely uh, insane. The same thing. It is. I went and it and it's. Why do you think it's happening? Yeah, I know why. <laughs> and and that's a really interesting. That most Americans can't understand why, and because they don't know history. Okay, we know that Karl Marx. Had uh, is the yeah, of course he is uh, the father of Mark, uh, Marxism, and their goal is to overthrow capitalism. And so, in the classic Marxism, is to overthrow capitalism by the working class using violence, right, and a bloody revolution. And uh, he predict that will happen in industrialized countries like uh, Great Britain, United States. You know what? It did not really come true. All the revolution took place in uh, uh, agricultural uh, or, or in, yeah, the uh, agrarian society like Russia and China. So and then the, yeah, the, the communists want to really uh, find out a way to overthrow capitalism or, or overthrow um, uh, free society. So that's how they come, with, uh, come up with the idea of cultural Marxism. So no longer use violence, no longer use uh, armed forces. They just use the uh, um the culture marxism to take over the institutions to um to replace the traditional ideas with the woke ideas mm-hmm. and the goal is the same is to overthrow capitalism along with it our freedom and that's what's going on right now and then i guess my next question is and i kind of feel like it's a simple question but i still don't understand it why do they want to overthrow capitalism? Is I know. Because, yeah. That, that's no, okay. what, they, they, they see capitalism as evil. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you hear it even today. There are certain very leftist politicians who oh, think capitalism that, yeah. is evil when capitalism has brought more people out of poverty than any other form of government. So mm-hmm. w- why? Why? Because uh, capitalism gave people choices. Capitalism gave people freedom. Under communism, we have no freedom. In, in under capitalism, you go hungry if you don't work. Here, if you uh, under communism, you, you go hungry if you don't obey. When just you have, you have to think uh, like the people who want to control us. If you want to control people, you don't want them to have the freedom. That's just why. Too do, why does anyone want to control us? What do they get out of power, controlling? Power, power. That is, it, well, of course, we don't have the uh, time to go into depths. The whole <laughs> culture revolution that that cost 
or more than 20 million lives, mm -hmm. the complete destruction of the society and our civilization, we don't really understand it. Why? Why? Why all this chaos? Because Mao wants complete power, absolute power. He would go that far to destroy everything so that he can absorb power. This is the same thing happening here. Even though we don't have a person that looks like Mao, it's just a group of people. It is too much to have all those free people, you know, they do this and that. No, we want to control them. We want the power so that we will not let them do their choices. We'll tell them what they can eat, what car they can uh, they drive or no car or whatever. Same thing, people who want power, it's always, always that. Now, are you one of the millions of Americans, whether you're male or female, you're dealing with premature hair thinning or hair loss, or maybe you're ex a little afraid because it runs in the family and you might inherit that gene. Well, finally, there's a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh chemicals, without the side effects, without the disgusting smell. Thanks to our friends that develop Genucel skincare, which you know I'm a huge fan of, Provia uses a safe natural ingredient. It's pro Procapil. I always want to say Provia Procapil. It's Procapil to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss by supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp. Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the drain or your comb. Effective for men and women of any age, safe on colored hair, safe on treated hair, safe on styled hair. It's that easy. And right now, new customers save over 50% off Provia's introductory package at proviahair.com slash Michelle. It's P-R-O-V-I-A hair, H-A-I-R.com slash Michelle. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum, for daily use, plus Provia 30, super concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Provia works guaranteed or 100% of your money back. See results for yourself right now. Don't wait. Go to ProviaHair.com slash Michelle. ProviaHair.com slash Michelle with one L, please. That's ProviaHair.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. So let's talk a little bit about Trump, who it's kind of funny when he began running or shortly after he ran, I, I took my kids to New York and we went to Trump Tower only because of its historic value in, in you know, the sequence of American politics and looked at the products that they were selling in the gift shop and nine out of 10 of them were made in China. So, you know, he took advantage of mm -hmm. the, the manipulated currency there, but he also pointed out very frequently how imbalanced the trade, you know, the trade was with China. Is, is, is any part of that, the fact that he was willing to go a little bit harder on Beijing than, than most, was any part of that something that the establishment had had a problem with, with Donald Trump? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a huge part of the opposition uh, that he gets, particularly from corporate America, um, you know, and set aside, the, the you know various debates people have about Trump. Just look at it from the bottom line standpoint of what his position was. He became president of the United States January 2017, and he talked about China and took policy actions that nobody else had taken. Mm 
so on the issue of ter- uh, tariffs, on the issues of uh, currency manipulation, he talked openly about the fact that China is involved in the fentanyl trade, which the Biden administration never mentions China in the context of fentanyl. This was a radical change in in what had been the consensus, I would argue the failed consensus of the previous administration, which was you engage with China, you trade with China, they'll become more like us, they'll become less hostile. Well, guess what? The actual opposite happened under President Xi. They become more aggressive. So Trump changed that dynamic. And so what did China do when they saw what Trump was doing? Uh, they didn't send their diplomats uh, to the United States to protest. They sent their diplomats to Wall Street. The New York Times and others reported on this. They went to Wall Street and they got Wall Street to ro- lobby Donald Trump. And Wall Street was more than willing to lobby Donald Trump because Wall Street has made a ton of money in China. Now, they're invested in companies that enhance the Chinese military, that suppress the Uyghurs. There's all kinds of Uh, ethical and moral questions about what they're doing. But bottom line is they made a lot of money. So corporate America, huge resistance to Trump's posture on China. You even see that today in the world of tech, uh, in the world of finance, uh, in the world of manufacturing, because he has kind of upended the apple cart uh, as it regards to what our relationship should be with China. And I think that's a good thing. And we're now starting to see some people on both sides of the aisle Uh, mimic the positions that he took. And I think that's a very healthy thing, especially the fact that it's now both sides starting to do it. Both sides. But can we include the Biden administration, the White (laughs) House in this? It seems to me that Joe Biden has always carried water for Beijing. And I I don't know how much this has to do with business, but I know you know. So uh, what have you found there? Yeah, I mean, no, uh, Biden has been terrible on China, um, and I think he's gotten worse on China. And, and in my view, that is because of the financial relationship that exists between uh, people in China and the Biden family. And, and you know, the bottom line is, if you go through the Hunter Biden laptop, you look at the corporate records in China, what we know is that the Bidens took in some $31 million uh, from four businessmen in China, um, and they really provided no service in return for that money. There, there's no consulting agreement. There's no advice. They brought no capital to business deals. So the question becomes, what did those businessmen get for the $31 million, assuming they're not just charitable guys who are handing out money to American politicians? And when you look at who those four men are, and I kind of highlight this in the book, if you look at who those four men are, every single one of them, Michelle, has ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. And that's that's not just me saying that. That's looking at Hong Kong big business records. They're in the footnotes. So one of them, for example, arranges for Hunter Biden to join the board and get an equity stake in a a private equity company funded by the Chinese government called BHR. Hunter has no background in any of this, but that's basically a $20 million payday. The man that arranged that at the same time he arranged it for Hunter Biden was also business partners with the vice minister for state security which is their spy apparatus in China. You look at the other three who, who arranged other deals or transferred money to Hunter Biden, same thing. So the question is, is this a coincidence? Are these guys engaged in charitable behaviors? What is the hmm. flow of this money? And my belief is, belief is it creates a definitely a conflict of interest. But even more than that, you have to start having questions about are elements of the first family or the first family somehow compromised by this flow of money from these Chinese entities. And I think 
If you go back to the Cold War when we were fighting the Soviets, if the Reagan family or the Carter family had taken $30 million from Russian businessmen linked to the KGB, uh, people would be going apoplectic. And I think we should be doing that right now with regards to the Bidens. And why aren't we? Is this again just a, a, a is it as simple as the mainstream media not wanting to reveal this? Why? Why is this happening? I think it's a combination of things. I think, number one, the media uh, decided and they basically wrote this in, in uh, 2017 in The New York Times on the front page. Uh, their view is that Donald Trump represents, in their words, quote unquote, an existential threat to democracy and that anything they do to aid him which includes exposing his opponents, people like Joe Biden, they are somehow participating in the destruction of democracy. So they have made a concerted effort that they're not going to simply report the facts, uh, that they are going to uh, skew what people see based on information. Um, And I had I've done numerous stories with the New York Times investigative team over the years up until 2016. When Donald Trump became president, after that fact, they basically are not interested in anything that involves anybody like the Biden family. Um, So I think that's part of it. Uh, I think the other part of it has been the social media suppression of this story. They they suppressed when the New York Post came in 2020. There have been polls conducted afterwards that demonstrate that if Biden voters had known about this, um, it might potentially have changed the outcome of the election. We don't ultimately know. Uh, my view is, you know, Trump improprieties, Biden improprieties, put them all out there. Let the American people decide. That is Thank clearly you. not what the media is doing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. They see t- Trump as an existential threat to democracy. But if if everything in what you're what you've researched, all of this money going to the Biden family from, I think, our most. You know, you could say Russia is the most hostile, whatever. China certainly has more money than Russia yes, does. Yes. China is is hell bent on owning the world. Uh, and and our president and his family has benefited from their government or their in, intelligence uh, folks. That's not a threat to democracy. <laughs> no, I mean, exactly. I, I don't understand. I, I just I, it's it's almost they're they're choosing, you know, there are two devils in front of them and they're choosing the lesser of two evils or something. And it's I, I don't see how you can say that's the lesser of two evils. I, I, I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I think you're right. I think you're right that that, you know, Russia is a declining power. It's, yes. it's uh, demographically, financially, it is a declining power. China's an ascendant power. They're much yes. more. I'm not saying Russia is not a threat, but China's a much bigger, more robust threat. And you're exactly right. I mean, again, if we had the Trump family getting $31 million from these Chinese businessmen, they would be all over it. They would be reporting yeah. it as they should. I'd be right there with them. Uh, but the fact is, is that they're not. So, you know, I would just ask people in the mainstream media to see, you know, maybe they are the ex existential threat to democracy because they're choosing <laughs> to put their thumb on the scale yes. uh, in a way that we shouldn't do it. Again, my view has always been, and some of the reporting is going to be good. Some of it's not so good. Put all the Trump stuff out there, put all the Biden stuff out there and let the American people decide that's the way this should be done. There's no question about that. And this unequal treatment of these two people is, is ridiculous in my eyes because of everything you've just detailed today. Here we sit 
with uh, Russia having invaded Ukraine. And the strong argument is that we cannot let Russia get away with this, because if they do, that's the signal to China that they can get away with invading Taiwan, which is sort of the equivalent, um, uh, I guess, invasion. And it would be... uh, it would have so many ramifications economically all over the world. I don't even think people have a clue what it would mean if China invaded Taiwan. Do you see those two things as being related? I do uh, in in a number of ways. Um, yes, I do. Um, and I certainly uh, support the Ukrainian people. They're the victims here. Um, you know, look, the, the Ukrainian government, uh, they, they want to make Zelensky and his government sort of the, you know, Thomas Jefferson and the, the founding fathers. <laughs> they're not yeah. they're They're corrupt. There's a lot of problems there. But still, this is about the Ukrainian people and their future. And we need to be supporting that. Um, and look, there is a reason, I think, why while Russia went into Crimea under Obama in 2014, then skipped an administration, the Trump administration, and then decided, okay, now Biden's in, now we're going to invade a second time. I think those events are, weakness is something uh, that tempts people to take aggressive action. I think we have to be very concerned about that um, as it regards China and Taiwan. I think my instinct is that they're going, China's going to wait to see what happens in the January 2024 Taiwan elections. If the KMT comes to power, which is pro-Beijing, uh, they'll be happier and they may not need to invade. Uh, if the KMT doesn't win, uh, then I think all bets are off and we have to, God forbid, uh, consider the fact that they may actually move into Taiwan. It's, it's, a, it's a terrifying notion on so many levels. And right now you have Macron from France going to China and basically saying the United States shouldn't uh, we shouldn't be following their lead on this. We shouldn't side with them in this in this, I guess, uh, this disagreement or however you want to describe it. I, 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 I'm trying to stay away from hyperbole, Peter. <laughs> right. I'm trying to be really responsible no, here. Are, yeah. uh, but Macron, what he said was like, I, I couldn't believe it. Now, you've also got uh, Brazil cozying up with China. You've got Russia and China uh, talking and, and China sort of trying to be a peace broker there. The, the whole situation right now seems so tenuous and so frightening. And it does seem to be a byproduct of a very weak White House administration here in the United States. I don't think there is any doubt about it. While we've got this all going on, we've got a president over in Ireland and he can barely put a sentence together. So what are the next, how important are the next six, eight, 10 months? They're hugely important. And, and I think uh, you, you nailed it, uh, Michelle, that, um, you know, power politics abhors a vacuum. Uh, and the United States has been the convening power on the global stage. And that doesn't mean we have to get involved in every war and every conflict. I'm not certainly right. in favor of that. But you have to have a certain posture uh, and there has to be a certain respect given to you based on the fact that you are the convening authority. And I think there's a lot of questions about whether the United States remains in that role. Uh, the Biden administration has been weak. You look at the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, you look at the retreat in other areas. And I think a lot of uh, countries like Brazil, uh, for example, they've got a new left wing government there, but they're generally pragmatic on these things. And they're probably putting their finger in the wind and saying, mm, looks like the, the breeze is blowing from uh, China stronger than the breeze from the United States. The Saudis uh, are making the same kind of calculation. And it's very tempting for people, I think, to believe 
well, that's all foreign policy stuff. It's not going to affect my life. If we huh. if we live in a world where China is the convening global authority, life in America changes dramatically. Uh, our economy, uh, our freedom, our ability to trade or not trade with other powers, it, it changes immensely. Um, so we need to be engaged. We need to be robust. We need to be forceful. Uh, and I have not seen that not only from this president, but from this vice president, from Tony Blinken, the secretary of state. Uh, it has essentially been weakness through and through. And the world senses that, smells it, and they're reacting accordingly. And I've heard people say that it's probably going to have to wait for another election cycle. And that kind of is terrifying because <laughs> it's hard to know what this election cycle is really going to look like. Mm. Joe Biden has not declared. He's hinted strongly. Most people believe he will run again. It's hard to even imagine that he's he's not competent now. He's not. I don't believe he's mentally competent um, and let alone maybe physically competent. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not hugely in favor of Donald Trump. That is for sure. I would like some new faces on the scene and some courageous faces. But to think that, particularly as you mentioned, Wall Street and corporate America loves the deals they get with China. Yeah. And you go to any store, whether it's Target or Walmart or where the Nike store, and you see how much is manufactured there. And there is so much going... <sighs> There's so much wrongdoing in China, so many human rights abuses, the Uyghurs you mentioned, so much. And yet we remain so entangled. Where is there ever going to be patriotism again to say, this isn't good for America. We need to disentangle. We need to, we need to move our factories. We need to find another way. Do you see that anywhere in the future? I, I see glimmers of it. I see people talking about it. Again, I see people on both sides in Washington. I see certain people uh, in Silicon Valley uh, and in Wall Street talking about it, but they are clearly a minority. And I think, you know, part of the problem is you touched on it earlier where China thinks long term for a lot of corporate America. It's about that quarterly report. It's about yes. that quarterly report, and they don't want to have their costs go up and have the quarterly report affected because that may affect their job. It may affect their compensation. So part of it is the kind of American system of capitalism. But the other part of it is, you know, corporate leaders, you look back at Jack Welch, who used to run General Electric in the 1980s. I mean, this was a bold guy committed to his company, committed to his country, outspoken. So many of these corporate leaders seem to be like politicians, you know, they're doing focus groups. They're, they're afraid to say anything. Um, they, they, they will react to criticism, you know, from some left-wing political group on the environment or whatever issue. But when it comes to China, they're, they're sort of quaking in their boots. Um, I think what we really need to see is some, some corporations step forward and to be rewarded for doing this. It's probably yeah. not going to be companies like Nike who are so dependent upon China and see it as such a big market. But I'm hoping we're going to see some of that in the tech space. You see Apple moving its manufacturing away from China towards Vietnam and other countries, India, for example. That's going to be a somewhat slow process, but I'm encouraged that Tim Cook is actually going in that direction, but he's certainly not in a position where he can be vocal about this. I think it's more of a slow strategy. So I see murmurs of it, but I think we're going to have to see somebody step up on the stage and really make this movement succeed. Um, and there's a lot of risk involved in that. And unfortunately, we have a lot of leaders who are adverse to taking any kind of risk. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.